Well, good morning, everyone. What a joy to be in the house of the Lord this first Sunday of the new year. Amen. Uh, certainly a time of reflection. Uh, we look, first of all, it's amazing that another year has gone by, and now we're at a new year, and uh, uh, the idea of reflecting, looking back over this past year, and no doubt there have been times where we may have thought, am I going to get through this? But here we are. The difference is the companionship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with us every step of the way, every day. And you know what? I've got good news for you this morning. What's to come this new year? He's still going to be there. Glory. Amen. So we say... Praise the Lord. He's a good God, and uh, his mercies endure forever, and we are thankful for his grace and his faithfulness. Uh, we want to welcome you this morning. Thank you for being here on this new year, and again, we are looking forward to what God has in store for you and for our church here this year. Uh, I just got a feeling uh, excuse the expression, God's going to blow the lid off. Anybody happy for that? Amen. So uh, let's, uh, you, you know, uh, our expectations can never match how great God is. So our expectations should be high. And you know what? Even though our expectations are high, God will always, always exceed those expectations. Amen? My favorite verse in all of the Bible. Oh, and by the way, don't start docking my sermon time. This isn't sermon. I'll tell you when to start counting time. My favorite verse is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Glory. What an awesome promise. Take that this morning and hang on to it. Well, last Sunday we begin a, a new series for the month of January. We'll be ministering through January out of the book of Joshua. And we began last week with, you might say, the Siri titles, The Call to Canaan. And this morning we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at the first nine verses. And we're going to minister on the thought, the series is The Call to Canaan. But this morning we want to look at the idea, possessing the land. Possessing the land. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, if you'll follow along. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you, I love this, I will give you 
every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those exact words are repeated in the New Testament concerning Christ in you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, in the Greek language, it is what is known as a triple negative. It could be translated this way. I will not, I will not, I will by no means leave you nor abandon you. Now you think of that, the words of the Lord. When the Lord uses a triple negative, I will not, I will not, I will by no means abandon you nor leave you. You can pretty well take that to the bank and deposit it. God's not going nowhere even if you do. Glory. There's that glory word up. I've had some people now calling me Pastor Glory. I didn't realize I say it so much, so I'll take it. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And three times he repeats this. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Glory to God this morning. What an awesome promise. Now, you might say this new year that lies ahead of us is a land like they were facing. A land they had never traversed before. And what lies ahead of us this year, no matter what's happened this past year, no matter what's happened in our life so far, we have never traversed this land before. In fact, only God knows what lies ahead of us this year. But may I say Without hesitation, there is victory ahead, no matter what lies ahead. Now, what Joshua and Israel had to experience physically in the book of Joshua, you and I have to experience spiritually. The theme of this book 
of Joshua is the idea of conquering. It is a book of victory. This relates to our conquest as well, spiritually speaking. How many know that we're at war? How many knows that we're called to conquer? For we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a real enemy. The enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we will always face those enemies, but nonetheless, there is victory. It is about the conquest of the life of faith. Christ is our victorious captain of our salvation. We shared last week, Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek Joshua is the Hebrew, Yeshua, and it means salvation of Jehovah. The Lord represents our spiritual inheritance this morning. May I say this morning that just as much as Canaan's land was Israel's inheritance from God, so God has a real spiritual inheritance for you and I that he wants you and I to possess and to experience and to have now. It's not just something that's, you know, the pie in the sky, by and by. No, now God has promises for us. Amen. We have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. It is ours. Paul said in Romans, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day in reality when he returns, you and I will share in his reign. We will rule and reign with him on this earth. But meanwhile, we have an inheritance to gain now, today, in this life. But may I say, we must obtain it, and we cannot obtain it without a fight. Glory. Well, let's look at this. Verse 3, look at verse 3 again. Verse 3. It states, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, notice, I have given you as I said to Moses. We have an inheritance, verse 3. And we understand, as Israel did then, the land is a gift of God. Now, in the Hebrew, the language there is what is known as it's in the perfect tense, which means it's already a done deal. It's already been given them. Before they even draw their swords from the sheath, God said, the land is already yours. It is a gift of God. They didn't earn it. They didn't merit it. They were not entitled to it. No, no. 
It was a promised gift from God. What you and I have received through Jesus Christ, we didn't earn it. We were not good enough. We didn't earn our salvation. We could not be righteous enough. May I say Jesus Christ and our salvation in his blessings are strictly a gift from God. There is no room for boasting. There is no room for saying, look what I have done for the kingdom. It's about, look what he has done. All the glory goes to him. So the land is a gift of God. Our inheritance is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 tells us this. That it is a gift of God. I don't know. Do we have that? Did I give that to you? If not... Well, just I, I think you're all aware of it, is that our salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Glory, a gift. Now, you know, we just come through Christmas, and uh, I'm sure some of you have received some gifts. Uh, it would not be a gift after you open your gift And there on the top of the package after you open the gift is the receipt saying, okay, this is how much you owe. Merry Christmas. That's that's not a gift. (laughs) Our salvation is a gift from God. These promises are already given to us. Note, the promises, the words that the Lord is speaking to Joshua in chapter 1, they have not yet crossed over the Jordan. They're still on the other side. God is speaking these promises to them before they even set foot on the land. It's basically this. It is yours for the taking. May I say this morning, it's yours for the taking this morning. Glory. The promises are already given to us. So our inheritance described is the fact that it is our eternal salvation. And I've always said, if it took something supernatural to save me, may I say it also takes something supernatural to keep me saved. Yeah, I, you know, it, we get saved and, okay, now it's up to me to get to heaven. We get in the boat and say, Brother, I don't think like that. But you know what? Sometimes we act that way. We get in the boat of salvation. Jesus is there at the dock. And he unties the boat. You know, we're going to go on our way to heaven. Jesus pushes the boat away a little bit, looks at us and says, good luck, I hope you make it. (laughs) And that's, I know that's a little exaggerated, but I'm trying to make a point. That's how some people live their Christian life. That is not what our salvation is. Our eternal salvation, the blessings and benefits of our salvation are given to us as a gift 
from God. And if it took something supernatural to save me, it's going to take something supernatural to keep me saved. I don't get saved by the grace and power of God. And now I'm left on my own to live it right so I can make heaven. No. In fact, if I live right, if I understand my scripture correctly, it's because God now dwells in me and I experience the power and strength of the Almighty to live it. Glory. And we're going to see how this is illustrated here in what God told Joshua. Hebrews chapter 4, we won't go there due to time, but read it sometimes. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, talking about when Israel was at this point, he said there was a generation who failed to enter into the rest of God. What did he mean by that? There was a previous generation, the parents, who when they came to the land, a generation before, failed to enter in because of disobedience and lack of faith. And what happened? They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and after 40 years, their carcasses were buried in the wilderness, and they never stepped into the promises of God. I want to tell you something, friend. It's not God's will for you to die in the wilderness and wander in the wilderness our Christian life isn't about wandering in the wilderness our Christian life experience is meant to possess the land and enjoy the blessings and promises of God glory the the difficult struggle is when we fail to move into that rest how because we settle for something less than what God has already given us. Secondly, this last part, the first part of verse 5, we have assured victory. Not only do we have an inheritance, we have an assured victory. Look at verse 5 again. You get that up. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, interesting. This inheritance that God has given us uh, requires battle. You cannot separate faith from obedience. This land was given to Israel, but they still had to fight for it. It sounds a little contradictory. They, you know what they had to do according to Numbers 33? They had to remove, follow along, they had to remove seven vile nations from the land that were inhabiting the land. It had to be cleared out before they could possess their inheritance. Now, to clear those nations out, it could not be done politically or diplomatically. It was not a matter where they show up like, say, to Jericho, the first city. Uh, excuse us. Our God has given us your city. Please vacate within 30 days so we can move in. Thank you and God bless. <laughs> that's, that's not how it worked. The Jordan must be crossed. Cities must be captured. Battles must be fought. Canaanites 
needed to be conquered. But that was their inheritance. It's, hear this, it's both a privilege and a duty to possess this inheritance. It is both a gift and it is an opportunity that God has given. Oh, friend, the Christian life experience is about victory. We used to sing about it, victory in Jesus. Oh, we love singing that. But then we go home during the week and struggle and mope around for the Lord. No, he's given us victory. Our realization of our spiritual blessings requires we are in spiritual warfare. Yes, we have peace. Yes, we have rest. Yes, we have joy in salvation. But it's in the midst of the fight that we experience this. It is spiritual victory. Spiritual victory means maturity and growth in the Lord. I'm not the same person, hopefully, I was a year ago spiritually. Why? I'm moving forward. I'm taking the land. Amen? It's a fight over the world, the flesh, and the devil. The apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he talks about the fight with the flesh. And basically he says in verses 24 through 27, he says, I am continuously, Ingalls translation, I am continuously pummeling the flesh to the canvas. So lest I myself should be a castaway. You bet it's a fight. But victory is assured. Glory. I said last week, it's a fixed fight. And a fixed fight is a good thing when you know you're the one who's the victor. Good news. The victory is already ours. We just need to engage. Let me say that again. I kind of like that. The victory is ours. We just need to engage. My dad, who was a pastor and minister for I don't know how many years, for well over 50 years, and there was something he used to say all the time when he talked about warfare and Satan. He said, Satan has no power over you whatsoever except the power of suggestion." Think of that. The power of suggestion only, which means the only way he can gain victory in my life is if I surrender to him. Amen. But this is the victory that overcometh the world, 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So then, Verse 5, again, the last part of verse 5. We have God's promised presence. Verse 5. Can we get there? Chapter 1, verse 5. Thank you. We'll get there in a moment. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We have God's promised presence. God was with Israel. Amen. 
God was with Israel every step of the way. For he said, everywhere your footsteps, that land I have given you. That meant that God was with them every step of the way. There were victories. And the victories were a result of their strict obedience. Catch this. Their victories was based on their strict obedience to God's directions. God alone, as he had with Israel, has the plan of attack. And he not only has the plan of attack, his plan of attack presents the power for victory. It was obvious as you read through the book of Joshua is that whenever they engaged the enemy and they strictly obeyed the command of the Lord, there was great victory. Even when the odds were against them. The good news about this fight is God knows no odds. In the natural, it may look like there's no chance, but that does not matter to God. Oh, trust God, obey God, and experience the victory, and he will manifest his glory in ways that will blow you away. Some of you have already experienced that this past year. Well, I got news for you. This coming year, there's more glory coming. There's more victory coming. There's more power to be experienced. Glory. He had the plan of attack. He had the power for victory. So it was obvious whenever they obeyed God, there was stunning victory. And whenever they disobeyed or balked before God, there was humiliating defeat, even when the odds were in their favor. God is with us as he was with Israel. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that same thing. I will never leave thee nor forsake you. He is with us every step of the way. The enemy. These nations have their own standing armies. They had great defensive walls. In fact, the walls of Jericho, it was said, were so wide you could run three chariots across in width across the top of the walls. And yet, though they had standing armies and great defensive walls, note, Israel was in search of real estate. There's some real estate out there this next year, spiritually, that God wants you to possess. And he's encouraged you and saying, go get it. I am with you every step of the way. Not in my own strength am I going forward. I'm going forward in his strength. He told, he, he told in Second uh, Chronicles, I believe, chapter 20, he told King Jehoshaphat, he said, the battle is not yours, it's mine. You just go through the motions. I've already given, they were outnumbered at least three to one. And I always thought it interesting God told them not to send the infantry out first or the archers out first. He said, send the choir out first. Uh, you want to run that by again, please? The choir. Tell the choir to dress up, get out there, and send the choir out first. Have them start singing. 
uh, Lord, uh, there's at least three armies out there surrounding the city walls, and they're ready to fight. You want us to send out the choir. Now, can you imagine? This is Ingle's imagination. When I read the Bible, my imagination goes bonkers. And I, I, uh, I, I imagine the choir director calling the choir members and telling them to gather and get on their robes or going out before the army and sing before the enemy. And I could hear different choir members saying, uh, you know what, I'm sorry I can't make it tonight, but... Uh, I really need to get to Walmart. We're low on groceries. and I, Follow what I'm saying? <laughs> but I also said last week, since a battle plan belongs to the Lord, God's battle plan many times doesn't sound logical at all. But the most logical thing you and I could ever do is trust an illogical God because he doesn't need our goofy logic. His ways are high above our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And you know what? The, uh, the victory is in his hands. So you know what? Go sing. Go praise. And when that's chapter was over, all Israel had to do was go around and collect the spoil. God took care of the enemy. Glory, glory, glory. Well, there you go, Pastor Glory. Look at verse 8. We have the resource of God's Word. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Obedience to the word of God is necessary before we can experience victory. If Israel was to possess their inheritance, they must strictly follow the word of God. They were to keep God's word in their heart, in their mouth, and in their mind. He told Joshua, and Joshua knew he had to do three things according to this text. The law was not to depart from his mouth. He was to meditate on the law and word of God day in and day out. He was to do everything written in it. Obey its commands. You cannot experience victory. You cannot experience maturity. You cannot experience the blessings of God by ignoring the word of God and neglecting the word of God. I love that our church and our dear pastor emphasizes the importance of reading the Word of God every year and stay in it. I tell you this morning, that is the way to victory, is through the Word of God. When Jesus faced Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, Satan quoted Scripture. He knows Scripture better than most Christians. He can twist it and turn it for his purposes. But Jesus shot back with every answer, the correct word of God. Mm -hmm. Our heart, we are to delight in God's word. Our mouth, his word is such a part of our life that it guides our conversation. 
It guards. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we go around and talk in King James English all the time. Just blessings to you, my brother. How art thou? I'm not talking about talking in King James. I'm talking about the word of God being such a part of our life. So in us that it governs our conversation. In our mind. Our mind is the idea that the word of God governs our thought life. And our thought life produces our value system. And our value system sets our priority list. Here, the, the mind, the mind is the battlefield. Let me say that again. The mind is the battlefield. And the battlefield is fought with thoughts. The battle is fought with thoughts. Again, what my dad said, the only power the enemy has over you is the power of suggestion. Here, He can only attack from the outside. He works from the outside in. But God Almighty works from the inside out. And when you have filled the inside with the precious, holy, powerful word of God, there is victory. Glory. God's word then is our primary ammunition. As I said, Jesus defeated the devil with a proper translation of the word of God. The word of God brings clarity in our lives. We cannot experience victory or spiritual maturity if we neglect the book. Then last of all, look at verse 9. Have I, and this is three times, in the first nine verses, the Lord repeats this. Have I not commanded you, not a suggestion, not a recommendation, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Keep that verse up there. Now I want you to look at that. Now I want you to think. The land 2024 that lies ahead of you, we really have no clue what lies ahead of us. We have no power over it. I don't know about tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But may I encourage you this morning, God inhabits eternity. He's already in your tomorrow. You will eventually get there. But he already has it covered. Glory! So, go forward. Israel faced an enormous task. As I said, they had to go in and run out seven nations to possess the land. The nations were not just going to turn the land over to them. The situation was not promising, outwardly speaking. What made it promising was this. God said, I will be with you wherever you go. I don't care how big the army is. I don't care how wide the defensive walls are. If God is with you, there is victory. There is no wall. There is no army. There is no challenge that God can't tear down and defeat. And I say that about your life as well. 
Their situation was not promising, but God said it was theirs. God commanded them then to be courageous. A physical impossibility becomes a possibility with God. On the one hand, God encourages them to be strong and courageous. And on the other hand, he tells them, don't be dismayed. I just talked to my brother-in-law yesterday. We've been on the phone with him a lot the past few weeks. My sister married my wife's brother, so we're very close, Jim and Cindy. They're in Oregon. Jim, a few weeks ago, was struck with a rare syndrome. He's been a contractor all his life, very strong man, carpenter, just his own contracting company. And he's since retired. Three weeks ago, has it been, Pam, basically? He was hit with a syndrome. One Friday he was walking, no problem. The next Friday he was walking with a walker. Within a few days he couldn't walk at all. And the paralysis started in his feet, up his legs, started to move to his chest, and they rushed him to the hospital. He's been there ever since, and he's in rehab. That's what Jim's going through. He's the associate pastor at the church there in Shady Cove, Oregon, the very first church my wife and I ever pastored when we graduated from Bible college. Our family goes there in Oregon. And this was Jim. When we talked to Jim and Cindy, and we talked to them almost every day, we talked to him last night on the phone, and you couldn't tell anything was wrong. He was jovial. He was excited. And he told his pastor, and he told us over the phone, he says, you tell our church that I have an uncanny, perfect peace, for I know I'm in God's hands. I'm not fearful a bit. I want to tell you something, friend. That's in the midst of a heated battle. And I don't know about you, but that Pastor Doug, is victory. That is victory. Circumstances will not dictate my peace. Circumstances will not dictate my joy. Why? He is with me. I know God's calling the shots. And though I may not understand it, it may seem confusing on the outside, I know He is in control. So we are encouraged to be strong and courageous. It's fear versus faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist. You're either fearing or you're faithing. You can't do both. We are encouraged to go forward and possess the land. We go in His strength, not ours. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Pastor Sean, would you in the Praise team returned this morning. Let me close with these last few statements. Three times God has told us and commanded in this text to be courageous. It's important, yeah, we're aware of our weaknesses and inability, but you know what? That puts our complete Confidence and dependence on God. 
I am weak, but you are strong, O Lord. And it is a good fight of faith. My brother-in-law on the phone last night, he reflected a stout heart, not daunted by the difficulties he is currently experiencing. But this is a lifelong battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And unless death takes you home or the rapture takes place, we will need to keep fighting. But this morning, victory is certain. Victory is certain.